Welcome to the Moving Forward Podcast. This is a crossover episode with fellow Yang Gang podcast, Left in the Basement. I hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody, welcome to Left in the Basement. I'm Dylan. I'm Blaine. And this is a weekly podcast show where we talk to normal working class people about politics and philosophy, who it always affects the most. Let's get started. So today we are talking with Rio. Uh, Rio is a Twitter friend, I suppose. Uh, he's a friend of the podcast for sure. He'll uh, you know tweet some stuff out about us before uh, we kind of met through a mutual friend and guest, Chet Gaines. Mm -hmm. uh, through a few Twitter interactions, we... Uh, collaborated a little bit and I came on to his podcast, the Moving Forward podcast, which I'll let him talk a little bit about in a second. Um, had a great time. We talked about Marjorie Taylor Greene and wanting to unseat her, which <laughs> is like my third favorite thing to do in the world. <laughs> After hating Elon Musk. After hating Elon Musk, you're right. Um, and we just, Rio said that he would love to come on and talk to us and I welcomed it. Uh, so Rio, if you'd like to tell our audience about who you are, what you do for work, and uh, we got a good question for you here. What is your favorite cereal to have for dinner? <laughs> oh, good lord! Uh, <laughs> so if like if I had to have a cereal for dinner, what would I want it to be? Or yeah. or either that, or if you do eat cereal for dinner on occasion, what's your favorite one? Um, no, I don't eat cereal for dinner. Um, I guess I would probably I want it to be kind of savory, like not too sweet, mm. right? That's so. Good. Probably like uh, like oatmeal, something like that. Hmm. Hot cereal. There <laughs> we go. It's a cream Perfect. of wheat, please. <laughs> a little, a little butter. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, I like that answer. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I could get. I was just gonna say like raisin bran. <laughs> I'm pretty good on Cheerios. Good, good standby. Yeah. So uh, tell us about what you do for work, and uh, you know uh, why you wanted to come on and talk with us. Uh, well, moving forward is more of a hobby than a job. I don't really talk too much about my day job uh, in the um, podcasting sphere because pol political reasons and so forth. Uh, but in sure, short, I, uh, I I help run a nonprofit is what I what I do for my day job. But awesome. yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's very rewarding. I I like it a lot. And um, you know, if you if you like what you do, it does, barely even feels like work, which is the ideal, right? So right. yeah, there's that. But moving forward is uh, it was it started out as a way to kind of like help Andrew Yang, um, and we were very OG Yangsters at moving forward. I remember when we were in the the Facebook group for Yang's campaign, only had like a few mm. thousand people in it <laughs> at the time when we started. So it was really early on. Um, in fact, I listened to Yang interviewed by uh, Sam Harris way before the Rogan interview. And that yeah. was when I decided I was a, a Yangster. So I was a Yangster. That's the first time he, I heard him. Yeah, too. before he even announced <laughs> that he was, well, I guess he, he did announce he was running in Harris's uh, interview. But I was like, nobody else has announced yet. This is way early. And okay, sure, you're running for president, bro, whatever. <laughs> but then it turned out, it came around and it was, oh, he's actually really running for president. Okay, well, I guess I better support this guy. So that's how it started. Uh, it's turned into kind of uh, like an experiment and productive disagreement, we call it. So we have people from mm. all over the political spectrum come on. And, but what we share is that we all share uh, a faith in democracy and free speech and open rational debate. Um, mm. 
and we don't necessarily even think of it like debating. It's not about winning or losing. It's about like finding consensus because we mm. believe that for democracy to survive, you have to find consensus with one another. You can't, you know, nobody gets their way 100% in democracy. That's one of the downsides of it. The other downside mm. of it is it's really slow. Uh, mm. But, you know, so we're just trying to kind of move society forward, not left or right, but forward, borrowing from Yang. That's where we're coming from there. You can go subscribe at uh, movingforwardpod.com. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you, in your bio and through your conversations with you, you were a former registered Republican. And I'm not sure if Yang was really the point where you said, I, you know, I'm not really uh, wanting to be a registered Republican anymore, or if that was something that was kind of building previously. I just wanted to talk to you about your uh, journey to, you know, switching parties, at least in the registered capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I would say that Trump was the nail in the coffin for me. Um, I, I've been a swing voter for a while now. Um, I, I believe that being a swing voter is wise because what you really ought to want to do is to reward both parties for moving in the direction that you want them to go. That's the way I think about politics. Um, so it became impossible for me to support really any Republicans. I mean, I suppose like if Mitt Romney, <laughs> as, as if at this point the GOP would ever nominate that guy, right? But, right, you know, I would consider yeah. voting for some anybody who voted to remove Trump from office. I, that's a Republican who could get my vote. Other than that, not so much anymore. So it was the, the Trump movement was when I realized that the GOP wasn't a viable option anymore. And so I mm. had to register as a Democrat in order to influence the Democratic Party in the primaries, because uh, I pretty much considered the GOP a lost cause at that point. Mm. Yeah, my, my reason for that is I had always been really, really cynical of the Southern strategy. Um, mm. And I thought that... Rightfully so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what happened, of course, you guys know this, you're, you're, you're a couple leftists in the basement. Uh, nice basement, <laughs> by the way. It looks great. Thank Thanks. you. Yeah, we've we've really done the most that we could have uh, with the setup and the budget. We appreciate it. Yeah, it looks good. I bet it sounds great, too. Um, yeah, so, you know, you guys know this. Like, what happened was after the fall of the Soviet Union, there was uh, a, like a big uh, reaction against... Um, that style of leftism and the Democratic Party kind of embraced like the third way under the Clintons and moved right on some economic issues, started balancing the budget, started uh, uh, reforming welfare, that sort of thing. Um, and when that happened, a lot of economic right wingers like myself, who are not necessarily motivated by the, the culture war so much. Um, started being like, okay, I could vote for, you know, I could vote for Obama, whatever, like I'll be a swing voter, right? Um, but they were still, you know, left of the Republicans in a, in a number of other important ways, especially for business concerns. Then, you know, along comes the Trump movement where they basically let the in inmates run the asylum now. And it's not even a cynical, you know what I mean? They're not just, yeah, I do. I do. That's a pandering to, to the mob anymore. Like they are a mob rule kind of party at this point that has just given up on the conservative values that I care about. Like, again, democracy the rule of law, mm. you know, free speech. Mm. Like when did, when did the GOP become the party of cop killers for goodness sake? So yeah, no, I, I'm, 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 I've washed my hands of that party. And at this point I'm a Democrat, you know, hmm. maybe, maybe, maybe if it learns its lesson and returns to its uh, fiscally conservative roots, I'll consider voting Republican again someday, but for the now, for the time being, no way. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Well, it's interesting that you say that because um, I, 
I feel like conservatism, or at least the Republican Party, has kind of painted themselves into a corner at this point. You know, for so long we were hearing, um, you know, all the all the talk about fiscal conservatism and you know free market capitalism and you know let the economy do what it wants to do because that's best. You know, low government intervention. But I mean, basically, ever since Trump, we've began to see a a retreat from that stance. And now conservatives are complaining about the results of the very policies that they have supported for so long. So if you look at Tucker Carlson, for example, now he's talking about how corporations have too much control and too much power. And of course, Dylan and I as leftists agree with that. But what really worries me is that it doesn't seem like the con- now 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 that there there's no other options except for asserting control for the sake of it do you see what i'm saying yeah no i completely agree the way i think about it when i said the inmates are running the asylum i i meant it literally really hardly even metaphorically mm. i think that mm. if you what you have to understand is that people like me who are what i would call like a a classic liberal right so somebody mm-hmm. who is pro small government and pro individual liberty in a consistent fashion, <laughs> right? So <laughs> they're pro small government economically as well as socially, right? Um, we're not going to get, a, we're, we're not going to get on board with a policy that is giving up on economic liberty and is continuing to not only pander to basically theocrats, right? But mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. they're just basically embracing what you might, what in Germany was called like the uh, Christian socialist party. Um, Mm. this is essentially what's happening here or, uh, what ended up becoming national socialism. So I think that, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to use the F word, but that's (laughs) basically what what I'm, yeah, what I'm pointing to. When you try to to overthrow the government through an insurrection and you want to assassinate the vice president, I think it's fair to call that fascism. I don't think that's hyperbole. I'm I'm glad we're on the same page on that. I was, no, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, they have, it's at this point where, you know, the fusion of the corporate lobbyists and the political power also with the capitalist media has resulted in, uh, I mean, they, they don't have anywhere else to go because now, now they, they don't like the end results of what they've been wanting to see for so long. And the only option that remains then is to assume control and enforce the hierarchy that you want to see. And that's scary. And I think a lot of people on the right are still, well, they would deny it, but I think they want it, you know, more and more and more. And it's, it's, it's scary. Yeah. Um, it just, it's so clear and apparent to me that Trump is not gone at all. Yeah. If anything, he's become emboldened. Like he's not limited to the government anymore. It's, it's almost as if he's kind of been let free, you know, (laughs) it's, it's free to uh, wear his pants backwards at rallies and everything. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, like after the insurrection, I was hopeful for half a second because, um, you know, like the, the, uh, wall street journal had been highly critical of a lot of Trump's more left-wing policies, like his protectionist trade policies and his isolation Mm -hmm. of policies. Mm -hmm. Um, but they had also been way too nice to the guy, in my opinion. Um, they had kind of gaslighted people about some of the ways that he was running roughshod over our political institutions. 
Um, and then after the insurrection, the Wall Street Journal called for Trump to resign, right? So that's the mm. paper of record on the right. Right, <laughs> right. right. And, exactly. and no less than the National Review totally like just lambasted Trump as like an as a traitor, as Trump supporters, as people who had just absolutely destroyed the conservative movement. Um, and I thought, OK, <laughs> maybe the GOP, mm. you know, will will realize that their mistake and recenter on the values that I believe in, in which case I can go back to happily being a swing voter. That would be great. That was a that was a good time to be a conservative. You know, when I could like it doesn't matter if Mitt Romney or Obama won, either way I won, right? That was great. <laughs> or like George George Bush or or Bill Clinton, that was a good place for me to be as an actual mm. conservative. But um no, the CPAC comes along and they triple down on it. And Tucker Carlson, who you mentioned, goes from at first he was saying, oh, it wasn't really Trump supporters who did the insurrection. It was Antifa dressed up as Trump supporters, right? Um, which I have to say, like, what are you if you're, a, if you're an anti yeah. anti fascist? What do we call that? <laughs> anyway, but he goes he goes from that to full on. Actually, the insurrection was a good thing, right? I mean, that is uh, absolutely terrifying. So I think at but, this point, it's fair to say that if the GOP leadership, if the establishment of the Republican Party was ever going to move on from this Trumpist nightmare, they had the perfect opportunity to do it. Who could have blamed them? Who could have blamed them? They just stormed the Capitol and killed a cop, right? While flying Trump flags, wearing swastikas and carrying Confederate flags, which again is a symbol of treason against the United States. I, I'm sorry, those people are traitors, traitors, not patriots. Um, they had every opportunity to distance themselves from, from Trump and instead they tripled down on it at CPAC. So I you know, was like, nope, the GOP is a, a traitor party at this point. It's lose. just so profitable at this point. Like it has to be driven by profit. Like I, I try to convince myself that there's no way that these people are this malicious, and there's no way that that this is just that they're bolstering down on this for any other reason than how profitable it is. It has to be. But I, I wanted to ask you. Oh, before before I ask you, just following up on that Tucker Carlson thing, uh, he actually I just saw a news clip where he's claiming that it was the FBI now who was in the insurrection. Are you serious? Yes, I, I saw that. Life. No, I mean, there's no there is no conspiracy theory they won't embrace. And let's point this out again. Once again, the party of the rule of law, the party that won the Cold War is siding with the dictator in the Kremlin. <laughs> They're siding with people who kill cops and they're siding with people who have anti-American conspiracy theories against our own Federal Bureau of Investigation. I no, I don't think it's about profit. I think that there, there's this um, this phenomenon where people like Tucker might start out like toying with these ideas cynically in order to make money as a speaker on uh, Fox News. But if you keep saying it, eventually you start to believe it. I think they're genuine believers. I think these people really believe that democracy is a failed experiment. Um, or another way of putting it is they only believe in democracy when they get their way, right? And as soon oh, yeah. as the majority decides they want it. something different from what they want, they're like, fine, bring, a, bring on a king. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing that I wonder is, you know, it's it seems like these people who were to use this word your comrades for a very long time have sort of revealed themselves to have a different character than what you thought 
you know, the people next to you stood for? How has that been for you? You know, that, I, f- I feel like that must be overwhelming. Now, how many how many family members or friends have you lost to this cult? You know, that's a great question. Um, the answer is none in my case. Uh, I do have a brother, um, half brother from my mom's first marriage, who I would describe as a Trump voter, not a Trump supporter. Um, I see. So, he, you know, he doesn't like Trump. He voted for Trump both times as a vote against the Democrats. And it's because my brother is convinced that the Democrats are secretly socialists. I tried to persuade him that the Democrats are what we call liberals and liberals are pro-capitalism. And if he spent any time in the company of an actual socialist, you would know how much you hate the Democratic Party. Um, but he wouldn't listen All to reason. True. you know. And, and so, uh, yeah, he and I will probably get through that if if. You know, but like if he ever if he were to try to defend Trump, the man and not just his vote, I don't think I could forgive that. It's unforgivable. It's totally unforgivable. Be- I mean, this stuff Trump you're is describing a terrible, is... terrible, terrible traitor. Yeah. I mean, the stuff you're describing, I don't want to you know, throw him under the bus. But like <laughs> the stuff you're describing is exactly what Trump supporters say, though. So it's like I'm not saying that he is a Trump supporter, but the fact that he voted for him while other people completely agree with his views, it's like, it's just a fine line, right? Yeah. And I wanted to say a little more. I mean, it's, um, it kind of depends on what kind of, of conservative you are, what kind of Republican you are. Um, I, yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that. Actually, that's really <laughs> funny. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, because the coalitions are complicated, right? So in, in the, in the democratic party, you have like a left wing that is, uh, social, Democrats or even democratic socialists, or some of them are even like um, anarcho-communists like our friend Chet, right? right? And then you also have people who are, you know, pro-business, really only support the uh, welfare state as a way of preserving capitalism. Um, And those people at this point, the democratic establishment, the kind of blue dog right-wing, economically right-wing, not socially right-wing, Dems are, are the closest thing to me at this point. Um, which is why I said I was very comfortable being a, a swing voter. And from my perspective, as somebody who prioritizes things like trade, like free trade, um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a hawk, I believe that the United States is a cause for good around the world and should intervene. Um, obviously, I know that we've, we've abused that power in many places. But I, I, in general, I don't think that because some administrations abuse that power is a reason to avoid using it ever think that there are times when the morally right thing to do is to intervene the classic example being world war ii for example right Mm -hmm. so um so for me i look at the modern gop and i'm like you know i was maybe i was willing to cynically partner with you know quote the christian right theocrats um in order to get my way economically every now and then but at this point they've just handed the reins of the party off to those lunatics there's no reason for a sane person to support that party anymore because economically they're to the left of Joe Biden, you know? So why would I bother? Why would I bother? I'll just vote for but Joe. <laughs> the thing is, is that he has so much support, so much support. There are millions of people who just love everything that he says and everything that he doesn't say that he means. How do you, how do you reconcile the fact that there are so many people around us that are capable of, you know, going to work, living a life, doing all the things that we do. And yet 
they just love what Trump has to say. You said yourself you would consider those people insane. How do we reconcile just the numbers of of people who fervently adore this man? You know, I think a lot of it actually has to do with um, declinism. So ah, uh, David Fromm wrote that. a really interesting book, right? He was a speechwriter for George W. Bush. Um, so mm. his conservative bona fides are, are uh, unimpeachable. But that doesn't stop Trump supporters from calling him a rhino, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he wrote a book about declinism where he said, look, you know, the, 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 a, a genuine belief in capitalism is it's not some kind of feudalist concept of we have to keep the working class down and keep wages down so that we can be the kings of the universe. That's not what capitalism is actually about. Read Adam Smith, goddammit. But capitalism <laughs> is supposed to be about, is it supposed to be helping working class people achieve independent wealth so that they can escape the slavery of, of low wages? And being you're not really free if you're dependent upon a government or an employer for your well-being. Um, and, and so he's basically just saying like these people, whatever they call themselves, they're not conservatives, they're declinists. They believe that essentially that capitalism is failing them and they, they want a strong man authoritarian to intervene in the market, uh, to privilege them, which is not the Mm -hmm. traditional right-wing position. I mean, you know, that's like, I feel gaslighted everybody. So every time somebody tries to tell me I'm wrong about that, but that I no, that's just objectively correct political science. Jesus. <laughs> right. That is, not, I mean, that, the, that's the, right. <laughs> right. The problem is, is that the word for that is fascism. And I had somebody the other day tell me that fascism was a slur and I could do nothing but laugh at that. You know, I was in Germany I, not that long ago and like over there, you're not allowed to talk about nazis or the holocaust or anything like that um and i love the fact that the united states has free speech i love the fact that that you know mike flynn this douchebag um (laughs) has the right to say that he thinks that we should we should have a military coup like in myanmar right because now he said that we know who you are and we know not to vote for your party right I think that sometimes the the best way to fight bad ideas is with good ideas, not with, you know, outlawing them or making it socially unacceptable to talk about them. Um, so, no, fascism isn't a slur. It's an accurate description of that party right now. I would I would just push back a little on that by saying there is a difference between um you know, banning the ideas from discourse and amplifying them and platforming them. Like, you know, Mike Flynn said all that stuff, uh, but the only reason we heard about it and know about it is because it was on the news. It was everywhere. It was blasted, which I I can see where you're coming from, where you're like, all right, well, the only way we know about bad ideas is to hear them. But at the same time, you know, we have somebody like Alex Jones on the airwaves who for all of his lunacy, he's leading the charge. He's like Trump's number one commander. So <laughs> that that clip where he's at the White House being like, yeah, he's like, Trump gave me the orders. Like, <laughs> yeah, so no, I, I, you know, I, I agree. That's something I always struggle with is, is trying to find that line of, you know, at what point do we continue to tolerate such intolerance, right? 
Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I think that was Karl Popper, was it? Wasn't it the paradox of intolerance? I think so. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. If we tolerate everything. Then, yeah, Karl Popper was yeah. a smart guy. Um, I think you're right. I, yeah, if, obviously, free speech doesn't entitle you to a platform, right? So once again, as actual capitalists here, Twitter is a privately owned company. Okay, they have every right to kick anybody off. They can kick you off because they don't like your nose. That's their right because it's their property. You know, you have you. You can you you're can, the first you can spread lunatic conspiracy theories on your own <laughs> on your own time anytime you want. But if you walk into my house and do it, I'm going to kick you out. Right? It's that simple. It's my property. Um, so once again, the world is topsy turvy. Since when are Republicans opponents of business and the rights of business to their own private property? <laughs> Good gracious, Dude, these people. Honestly, man, they just don't know. They don't know anything. They don't know anything about any of this stuff. All they know is they don't like their lives. And and instead of doing the actually conservative thing of taking responsibility for their own failures in life, they choose to blame other people for it. They choose to blame liberals or they choose to blame immigrants. They choose to blame black people. That's not conservative. That's a that's a baby. That's a baby in a soiled diaper. That's what that is. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, Go it makes makes sense that Trump is the leader of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he does wear. A I call Trump Trump the patron saint of losers. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just blew out the microphone laughing at that one. That was really good. My God! All right. Um, uh, well, I I also wanted to ask you because we keep drawing the comparisons between the conservative values that you hold and uh, the Republicans that you would have voted for or have. And a lot of pushback that we get or that we see, at least on the, the online leftist sphere, is what is the real difference between someone like Trump and all these other Republicans who seem to just fall in line, right? It just, to me, at some points, it just seems like Trump is just saying the nasty parts out loud uh, versus some of these other Republicans, like you're saying, like Mitt Romney or even a John McCain, who, you know, Trump really accomplished what a lot of them wanted to do, you know, cut back on taxes for the wealthy um, to eliminate a lot of social spending like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Um, and I just I just wanted to know if you could uh, define those two for me. Um, what the difference is. Yeah, no, I think it's helpful to make a distinction between words like conservative and words like Republican, right? Okay. Um, yep. Because of the fact that we have complicated coalitions, does it like does it really make sense, for example, to to call somebody who um, who loves Medicare and Social Security, who's maybe even on welfare, um, but who votes Republican because they hate gay marriage and abortion, right? Does it really, really make sense to think that that person is the ideological ally of, you know, like a, a gay um, banker in Manhattan, right, who mm. only votes Republican for tax reasons, right? They're, mm. they're totally different people. I mean, they literally are opposites, both socially and economically. Um, but because of our two-party system, um, they have no choice but to build, you know, to, ju to join one of two coalitions and when you do, once that happens, you find yourself with strange bedfellows. Now, the reason I didn't lose a lot of friends over the Trump thing is because 
I'm a California Republican and all my friends are California or, well, I was, or no, I'm a Democrat and, and a proud one at that at this point, <laughs> um, you know, and all my, all my conservative friends are like New York Republicans. We have nothing in common with the Trump voters in the middle of the country. We, our, our value systems couldn't be more out of step with them. You know, like they probably have more in common with the average Bernie Sanders voter than they do with somebody like me. So I, I just don't know them. I don't know anybody like that. They're not in my social circle. So I, you know, I didn't lose friends over it. I live there. Yeah. <laughs> or I grew I grew up there, so I'm very familiar with it's almost as if their entire personality is built on this. Where any criticism of anything that the Trump cult right do is or even their, an assault on their yeah. character. Mm -hmm. It's just like a personal attack every time you're like, well, you know, he didn't really do anything for the wall. Like, you know that, right? Like he didn't, he didn't really <laughs> build anything. And they're like, no, no, there's a crisis there. There's a, there's a huge like surgence of people. And I'm like, are you sure? And then that's the end of the friendship usually. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's because it's not really about, um, it's not really about practical policy matters. Like, you know, some of them do mm, believe yep. in things like the, you know, trade war and all of that tariffs and whatnot. Right. Some of them really do believe that America first is the right foreign policy, which I know you guys are students of history. America first. Where did I read that in history books? Oh yes. Nazi sympathizers leading up to world war two use that slogan. Same exact one. Right. So I, <laughs> you know, but these people don't, they didn't pay attention in school and then they, and then they, and then they tweet out stuff saying like, why didn't I learn about this in school? I didn't learn about the communists killing millions of people. Yes, you did. You just didn't pay attention to it. Calm down. <laughs> you, know, you know, I, I would, I would actually say that about about the Holocaust or or what you're saying with with the Nazis, they didn't teach that. They really didn't. Like I, I really, I mean, I'm thinking back to my at least in the rural South. You know, they even still teach revisionist history of the Civil War. Right where you it's know, about state slavery, rights, right? Slavery is barely mentioned. Yeah, right, it's, it's true. It's, it's one hundred percent true. Right, their right to own slaves is what that. Right, it's about right. that and, state right. Yes. Or or here here in Cherokee County, where they just preemptively banned any consideration of teaching critical race theory before it was even proposed. It's you know the the party of the party of free speech and personal rights <laughs> is not even allowing. Yeah, that's a bit of a the information to be the heard. Government starts deciding what you're allowed to teach in school. That's a little bit of a, a slip. But slope. but they, I don't. It's just baffling to me that for all this gusto of freedom and free speech and all this whatever, it's it's revealed to be by the vast majority of Republicans to not even really matter as long as it serves their interests. You know, and anything mm -hmm. anything that they profess can just be altered or changed or warped if it satisfies whatever their you know preconceived beliefs are and protect and protects them from reconsideration that's what it seems like to me yeah yeah so to go take us back to the southern strategy i mean these are people who were probably like fdr democrats and they only let they only abandoned the the dnc um because the democratic party embraced civil rights <laughs> right and moved and moved and moved right a little bit economically from socialism to social democracy so um, so they're like, these people don't represent my interests. They're partnering up with the business. They're partnering up with the baby killers. They're partnering, partnering up with the faggots, et cetera. I don't want to I don't want to support them. Right. That's what it's about. These these people are essentially they they are the people who were the Confederates in the Democratic Party. And now they're the Confederates in the Republican Party. It's the same clown. <sighs> 
Same is thing. It, does that, I got to ask you, does that make you feel like, does it ever make you feel like you ought to reconsider your position if so many people that claim to be on your side are actually just there for, for bigotry and fear? Yes. Yes, it does. All the time. Um, and part of the reason why I have, I'm no longer a Republican, but I still call myself conservative is because I think it's important that we don't let these radical traitors, um, steal that term. Conservatism has a valuable tradition, not just in the United States, but in every democracy, just like every democracy needs progressives. You need both. You need people who are pushing the status quo and challenging it and trying to improve it. And you also need people who are like, hey, slow down. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, maybe we should do this, but let's not do that. Those are both healthy impulses to have in a democracy because you don't want, you know, it's easy to break things. It's easier to break them than it is to fix them. Um, And so the conservative tradition that I'm part of isn't one that opposes progress. It's one that opposes regress. And the... Republicans of today are regressive. Hmm. So if, if I'm understanding your point of view, what you'd really like to see is a return to sort of the neoliberal status quo of the past three or four decades. Um, Broadly with, speaking, know, both yes, parties. yes. Right. But, you know, with most of the right seeming to have abandoned their tired positions on unregulated free market capitalism with, you know, criticizing and scapegoating social media monopolies and other fruits of the very system that they've been advocating for up till this point. Do you think that's even possible? That's a really good question. Um, Do I think it's possible? Yeah, I think it's possible. I think that the problem is people are taking the benefits of modern civilization for granted. And it's, it's not just the alt-right doing it. It's also the far left in some cases. Um, if you don't mind my I think I could see what you're saying. Right. So I don't mean people like our friend Chet. Chet is my ally because he believes in individual liberty, just like I do. I'm only opposed to the ones who want to throw me in a gulag and confiscate my personal property. Right. Otherwise I can work with you. Like you have to to draw the line somewhere, man. (laughs) Right. But you know, like act like there are people on the left who are doing the same thing. They think that, you know, I mean, my goodness, like we've made so much progress. We've made so much progress since I was born. We've had the first black president. We've had the first female vice president and the first black vice president. We've had um, same-sex marriage has become legal, right? Um, And yes, we did go through a period after the fall of the Soviet Union when there was understandably a reaction against the more radical forms of leftism. We went through a period where they reformed welfare a little bit, but we still have a pretty generous welfare state. It's not as generous as Western Europe or something. But I mean, if people think that they would be better off living in North Korea or China or Russia, they're wrong. They're just wrong. So I, I, of course, I want America to live up to its promise to all of its citizens. I don't think that the working class, it should even be a thing anymore. I mean, with automation, we should all be able to be comfortably middle class. We should figure out how to make that work. That's why I backed Yang. Right. So I, I right. want a positive future. I just worry that populism is this toxic ideology that tells people, one, your problems are not your fault. There's someone else's. And two, the status quo is totally bad. It's as bad as it's ever been. We might as well burn the whole thing to the ground. No, that's not correct. You know, like, I'm sorry, grow up, 
get a pair, you know, and they're like, just figure it out. Like it's democracy. We have to work with each other. And if we're too busy blaming the other side for our problems, we're not going to be able to find the common ground necessary to move forward as a society. Yeah. We've actually talked before about when you say progress, I think on one of our earlier episodes, we said that when I think of progress, I don't think of, oh, great. We have our first uh, director of the I, I don't even know. Uh, we have our first black fighter pilot dropping bombs in the Middle East. Great. Awesome. That's such good progress. It's like, no, that's just diversity. That's not progress, right? It is important to have that representation in higher government, sure. because Possibility I, for upward mobility right. for any identity. Right, right. Because when you see, like, as a, I, I'm sure as a young black woman or girl, you see the first black vice president as a woman, and that is inspiring. Mm-hmm. That that's just to even think that that might be possible for someone who looks like you, right? Is incredible. They do it the same way with entertainment, with yeah. with movies and, and, and heroes and stuff. And and you know, I didn't used to think that there was anything to that until I was watching a video one time, and this uh, electronic music artist who you know I really enjoy. I saw him for the first time. What he looked like. And he was kind of a short, schlubby white guy like me. And then I understood. And that's a really (laughs) silly story. But there's something to be said about seeing somebody who you identify with doing something that you want to do. And it's important. Right, right. And I've always just tried to make the point to not confuse those two things. Because for me, progress would be changing some of the status quo, not just appointing people of color to positions within the status quo. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with that. I understand your point. Um, And leftist critics of identity politics are correct to point that out, I think, right? I think think that liberalism, part of what I love about the classically liberal worldview, which again, an actual leftist will tell you is right wing. um, And in practice, I'm discovering puts me to the right of Trump voters too. but you know, like authoritarian centers, yes. Yeah, we 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 believe in centering individuals, individuals, right? And so the ultimate consequence of intersectionality is that you treat everybody as an individual, which is what liberals have wanted all along, right? So I completely agree with you. That said, you know, it's easy for for us as three white guys here, right, to say that that's not progress. Oh my gosh, you know, like if you're a black right. person who, you know, your your grandfather never could have even imagined the possibility of something like that happening, it feels like progress to them, right? So I think yeah. it is a form of progress. And oh, sure. remember, coming from my perspective as somebody who's neoliberal um, economically and uh, neoconservative foreign policy, I do see the black fighter pilot as progress. I do, I do see a black CEO as progress because I'm not against fighter pilots and CEOs. So that's, you know, you, you don't have to agree with me about that, but that's why I see it that way. Sure, that's sure. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, th- I think... The issue here is that we seem to be getting to a point where even both sides, left and right, are beginning to realize that our economic situation is approaching some sort of unrecoverable point. And I fail to see that we're changing direction at all. We can't go back. It's either fascism or socialism from here. And you don't like socialism. So... (laughs) 
You're not a fascist, Rio. That's, no, no, I'm, no, no, I'm I, not I accusing you. Love, of, I absolutely yeah, love this yeah. question. Yeah, you guys are going yeah. at the hard stuff, man. This is I love this. Yeah, we try. Yeah, people, I'm going to tell everybody to listen to your podcast. That's great. I appreciate the hard work. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks. no, I mean, there is a history of that. Let's be honest, right? There's a history. There's a history of, of um, you know, the Soviet Union working with, with uh, the Nazis. And then there is a history of the Soviet Union fighting the Nazis after that. Um, global politics is complicated, man. It's complicated and coalitions are complicated. And when people are forced to choose between two extremes where both choices are bad, sometimes people choose a way you wouldn't want them to choose. So that's part of the reason why liberals don't they say, look, just don't erase the sane center, please, for the love of God. Because when you do that, then people, you know, if you can convince people that the only alternative to one extreme is another extreme that's even worse, then they're not going to be critical enough of the problems with your extreme right i don't mean you personally but right if one can do that right yeah Yeah. um i don't think you guys are extremists so to answer your question about socialism you know like i'm not a fan of the welfare state that fdr created part of the reason i support yang is because i want to reform the welfare state in order to be more liberal and less socialist than it is now um but I think that it, in you know, in hindsight, it probably was a good thing that FDR did that because if he didn't, then Marx's um, idea about the downfall of capitalism and the inevitable rise of communism might have happened. Right? FDR helped to stop that from happening, and I think that that hmm. was a good thing, even if I don't. But what agree happened with the leading way that it up happened. to that? Right, right. So, so my question would be, what happened that made FDR do that? Yeah, I was I, totally man. I, Liberals need to listen to their critics. If we want to preserve the constitutional protections of individual liberty and the rule of law, the decentralized government, and all the things that we care about, we have no choice but to listen to our critics. And our critics are right about a lot of stuff. Okay, I think the Trump supporters are right to be mad about the fact that their towns are being hollowed out and that they can't find work. I think that I um, you know the socialist left is right to be. Um, to be, I don't think they're right to be socialists, but I think they're right to be upset about the fact that it seems like no matter how hard they work, they can't get ahead. Like, it, you know, capitalism works great for people who make enough that they can save money and build wealth. But if you can't do that, then capitalism isn't working for you. And I think that's true, right? So we need to make it work for everybody. Human capitalism, UBI, we need to reform our education system so that everybody gets a first class education, not just rich kids. There's a lot of things that we can do within the liberal Overton window to make society better. And if we don't do it, then yes, we will be forced to choose between one extreme or the other. And that's not a choice that I look forward to making. I think you had some uh, questions that you wanted to ask about UBI, Dylan. Yeah, yeah. And we've kind of been leading up to it at this point. Uh, yeah. with... I loved your answer, by the way. That was yeah, great. Yeah, that was, that was a really good answer. Um, I wanted to ask you, because Yang was a big uh, sort of point for you and your political ideology kind of kind of shifting along with Trump. But uh, I, I really wanted to ask, was it UBI specifically about Yang or was it just because I'm not a huge fan of Yang anymore? Um, I do. I do still value some of the stuff he has to say and the way that he says it, because Blaine and I, <laughs> Blaine, <laughs> Blaine and I have said he was the, he was one of the only people who was speaking up there who was talking like a human being. Yep. Um, who was he? Honestly, I just feel he was too smart to run for president. <laughs> I feel I yeah, feel maybe. like he he should have had yeah. some kind of cabinet position. 
was it his flagship idea of UBI or the way that he was describing things that really attracted you to him? I, I think it's both. Um, so the first thing I'll say is I've been very critical of Yang and I've been extremely critical of the Yang gang. I think the Yang gang mm. has been a problem for Andrew Yang in a number of situations. Um, Interesting. But like the Bernie bros. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. It's like <laughs> Brochialists. Ber- as much as I dislike <laughs> Bernie Sanders, I dislike his, dislike his most toxic supporters a lot more. Right. I, I would, I would like, I'd, I'd get along with Bernie just fine. Um, <laughs> but you know, how do, how do I put this? Um, I think that we should have allies in this world not heroes, right? Nobody is worthy of being put on God a pedestal, damn. right? We should always be criticize um, our leaders, uh, always. Um, I think we should be pragmatic about it. I think people who do both sides of them and make it sound like, you know, Joe Biden is no better than Donald Trump are not doing anybody any favors because that's just not true. But you can criticize him without going to that extreme, right? And we should always criticize our leaders. Um, that said, you know, it's both because Yang's personality appeals to me. Um, and it's not just UBI. It's his way of thinking about policies. They're very solution driven mm. rather than ideological. Or blame, blame oriented. They're not blame oriented at all. Um, I'm actually curious why, uh, Dylan, why, why have you soured on Yang recently? Some of the, I saw his answer about mental illness uh, that was making its way around Twitter, um, and I need to do a little more due diligence on the Israel-Palestine conflict, um, because to be honest, I'm not super well-versed in that, but the reading I have done and some of the conversations I've had with people who you know, have actually lived over there, um, just the automatic pro-Israel stance that America's known for is actually a spot that the Democrats and the Republicans are basically identical on. Um, you know, like you said, there are clear differences between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, but on at least on Israel and on maybe immigration, there's not too much of a difference. Uh, but for Yang, it, it was really those two lately, but um, I've also just come around on UBI really. Mm-hmm. So I do think there is credibility with UBI, but it seems like a Band-Aid uh, for me. Okay. Um, and I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, if there's adjustments to be made, what kind of wage we should be giving people, and um, if there's something beyond UBI uh, that we could that we could do. Well, there's a lot of things beyond UBI that we can do. Um, mm-hmm. You're not going to get me agreeing to like a high minimum wage or something like that. But what mm-hmm. you know, I I'm I'm not necessarily going to vote against a candidate just because they support raising the minimum wage. You know, like one part of one of the one of the problems we have in our in our political discourse in this country is that everybody seems to want everything. It's like an everything or nothing situation, right? And mm-hmm. that's just not how real life works, guys. <laughs> right? Like we have to choose some. We have to choose the best worst option sometimes, and that's part of being a grown up. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't agree with your your criticisms of Yang and I'm going to try to say why, but I also respect your opinion. I mean, all three of the points that you made are points that somebody coming from further left than I am could totally criticize Yang for in a completely valid way. I think you're right to worry about those things from your perspective. So the reason they don't bother me is because I see the conflict in the Middle East as as um, 
as one that should admit of such an obvious centrist solution and that has just been rejected every time we've tried it, right? I mean, we need to have a two-state solution. Palestine should be its own state, obviously. Um, But it's complicated by virtue of the fact that you have a a theocratic, far-right theocratic um, terrorist organization called Hamas, which is brutalizing Palestinians as well as intentionally targeting um, civilians, not hitting them, not hitting them by accident, intentionally targeting civilians, which is, I think is an important part of the definition of terrorism. Think that if it's an, if you're only attacking the military, I don't think that's terrorism. You could call yourself a freedom fighter, but if you're attacking civilians intentionally, that's terrorism. Um, and so I, I think that we have to look at a situation like that and say, who are we going to side with? Are we going to side with the country that is a democracy where LGBT people aren't killed for being who they are? Um, or are we going to side with a, with a, a with an area that's controlled by those terrorists? I think that's, that's a pretty easy choice for me personally. But I also understand the left-wing point about colonization and apartheid, and I don't think they're wrong about that. I think Israel has been a bad actor too. So it's complicated. I think that reasonable people can disagree with each other about that one. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Palestinians should be free. I think Palestine should be a state. And I think that we should make our standard for it becoming a state that it should be a democracy. If it agrees to be a democracy, then it should be a state. That's it's that, that simple as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, with from a leftist perspective, from a lot mm-hmm. of people I've talked to and, and kind of myself, I mean, the definition you gave of, of terrorism is exactly what Israel commits to Palestine or to the people of Palestine on the daily, right? So you're saying, you know, the the uh, civilians targeted, I mean, Israel's killed a, a lot more civilians than Hamas has. And in and, and some of our opinions, you know, Hamas was formed out of necessity almost, right? Like, um, I'm not going to say that what they're doing is right, but it from their point of view, it almost feels necessary. Is That's, that, is, yeah, no, I, I see your point. I, I guess like our difference is you're, you're, you're taking like the Noam Chomsky body count approach, which I think has merit. And I'm not going to try to talk you out of that. I think that's one way of looking at, at the situation that has validity. Um, but there's also looking at, you know, the ideologies and the intentions. And I, I don't think that Israel is intentionally targeting civilians in the way that Hamas is. I think that collateral damage is bad. I think they just don't care. Well, if that's true, then that's horrible, right? And thank God BB mm-hmm. is out, right? Like we agree about Amen. that. You know, I don't I don't think yep. that we should have a uh, a horrible government in Israel. That's not a good thing either, <laughs> right? But it's a horrible government that was elected by citizens because people were terrified. I mean, look what happened in this country when 9-11 happened. Everybody was like, okay, violate all my freedoms, right? Now imagine right. if we were having a 9-11 <laughs> every other day. Like people would be bending over for Uncle Sam, wouldn't they? Right. So it's just it, it's a messed up situation. But you know, I respect I respect your opinion, um, and I think that we can find common ground between the right and the left on that one. To me, it seems quite obvious: two state solution. Palestine should be a democracy. Every country should be a democracy. That is the morally right position. You know, speaking of um, you know a nine eleven every other day. And then bowing to Uncle Sam, if, if you're talking about purely death numbers, we were having a 9-11 every single day during 2020. That's right. And they didn't care. Like, they were like, four more years of that, please. Can I have more? It's because there's, you know, you, you know, can't put a face to a microscopic virus. Nope. And it, human nature is such that, you, you know, 
we opt for revenge at the first opportunity. And it takes a degree of maturity that I think a lot of us still don't have to overcome that and and make the rational choice. So, uh, Dylan, I wanted to respond to your other two points, which I I think they were both great. Um, So on the mental health issue, um, Yang is not a great politician. He doesn't have a lot of experience in politics. He is probably too smart and probably too honest. <laughs> you're not wrong right, about that. Be it. it's just, right? and, and so like yeah. he, 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 the, fu- the ironic thing is he's doing what Trump supporters say Trump does, but Trump very much does not do, but he's just saying, mm. he's saying, he's saying it, he's telling it like it is without any concern for political correctness. Um, and I think that's probably not wise. Um, so about the mental health thing, you know, I remember when, I'm not old enough to have been alive during Reagan's years, but I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when the left used to complain about the fact that Ronald Reagan kicked everybody out of those institutions and put them out on the street, right. In order to save money. Um, and that that was, it was criticized as a callous thing to do because it kind of was right. So sometimes the compassionate thing to do when somebody is um, so mentally ill that they're a danger to themselves and others um, is to institutionalize them, and we should, but we should do it in a way that's that treats them with dignity and humanity because they're human beings. That's not an easy problem to fix, and nobody wants to do it because it costs money. If you want to, you know what I mean, like <laughs> capitalism, <laughs> right? And and so I, I personally think Yang, Yang's position on that is correct, I, but I think that the way he phrased it was very impolitic, and that's not good. Um, so it I would, understand was, why you would was, react negatively to it. I really do. It would t- I just want to add, um, it just to me, it was a surprisingly inarticulate and unskillful way to state his position, whatever it was. And I don't think I've ever heard, you know, Yang say something so that would be so clearly offensive to so many people. It, w- it really surprised me. So the other point, yeah. UBI, right? Yes, there's lots mm-hmm. of things that we should do. There's lots of things that we should do. We can di- we can agree and disagree about specific solutions, but I agree with you that UBI is not a panacea. And I actually don't think that Yang intends it to be a panacea. If you looked at his um, uh, presidential campaign, it, it had, what, like 100 different policies? I mean, uh, Elizabeth Warren was supposed to be the wonky policy candidate, and if Yang weren't in the race, she would have been. Yang has a lot of policies, so it's it's not just UBI. It's not a panacea by any means. Like I said, we have to reform education. Um, I'm perfectly willing to compromise with the left on healthcare. There's a lot of things that we can do apart from 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 UBI. I don't think UBI is going to solve all of the problems in the world all at once. However, that said, let me make a case for why even if you don't raise the minimum wage, having a UBI will naturally result in wages going up. Um, if only people who want to work have to work. That will reduce the supply of labor. And at a time when the demand for labor is in decline due to automation, that would be a very good thing. That would be a very good thing. If you are an evil capitalist baron, you probably want to have the supply of labor as high as possible, right? So UBI meaning that people... First of all, people have more negotiating power at their job because if they're mistreated or if their demands aren't met, 
they can they have something to fall back on to 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 leave right they have the ability to move they have the ability to switch jobs you know right now people say why don't you just leave the city if it's so expensive to live in the city well one there aren't really very many jobs outside the city and two it's expensive to move ubi solves those problems which will also naturally bring down the cost of housing in the in the in the cities because there will be less demand for housing and it will reinvigorate small towns all across this country the the places that would benefit most from ubi are local economies where people would be happy to buy goods and services at local businesses if they had the capital to do so. So you pump millions of dollars into every small town and every poor neighborhood in this country every single month, you're going to see a renaissance and people will start buying coffee because they'll have money to spend at coffee shops. Jobs will be created. Um, and I know you guys have heard that bill of goods before, but keep in mind, we're not talking about trickle down here. We're talking about trickle up and we actually mm. need both. Mm. You have to stimulate the economy from the top and the bottom. That's the, that's the part that's been missing. We've never tried the bottom before. And the reason we've never tried the bottom before is because all the types of welfare that we have are means tested, which means they punish people for succeeding, which is a terrible disincentive for trapping people in poverty rather than helping them escape it. UBI doesn't do that. And because we tell them how to spend it, you can only spend you know, your food stamps on this. And Yes, you can get government subsidized housing, but you can't just go rent a house in a nice neighborhood with several other people who also get a UBI. That would be too good. I mean, we can't we can't let those ruffians in the nice neighborhoods. Right. No, like like let the market let the market flourish, guys. Right. I, I, I honestly believe that even without raising the minimum wage, which I already said, I, I will compromise on you if I ha- with you if I have to. But even without it, wages will go up and the cost of housing will go down. It's just basic economics. Hmm. I think you're the most reasonable conservative we've ever talked to thus far. <laughs> well, I always enjoy talking to reasonable lefties like you guys. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Wow. That's yeah. I mean, that, that sounds pretty good. I mean, um, I was going to just add right here on the tail end about back to the mental health issue. And uh, the one of the problems that I was seeing was the reason that so many people were on the streets or are mentally ill to the point of not being able to work is because they didn't have the resources to seek the treatment previously, uh, whether that's money, whether that's a car, whether that's eligibility, or even if it's just emotional support from their family, yeah, um, something to that effect. And I feel like most of it is money. Um, yes. So, it, I mean, it sounds like UBI oh, yeah, no, would you're be totally something right. that you're absolutely could right. Help. It's all money, right? Because if you if you if you have like a, an upper class family, money. right, that can that can say like, oh, cousin so and so is going through a hard time, like he's struggling with mental health. We can check him into a forty thousand dollar a month institution where you know he can eat caviar while they while he gets treatment from the best doctors in the world. Obviously, that's a better place to be than living on the streets of New York. Nobody wants those people there, and I, you know, I I don't know Yang very well, but I know him well enough to tell you he is not a callous man. He cares about people. He cares about those people. It just didn't come out in his answer. It was a bad answer. I believe that. I believe that. I think there's a lot of stigmatization about homeless people and sort of a dehumanization effort to where it's like it's more of a nuisance rather than an actual problem we can fix. Right. They're like, I just don't want to look at that. Um, Can you get that off the street, please? Right. Right. (laughs) Instead of, you know actually fixing the material conditions to where we don't have those people on the street. And actually they're rehabilitated back into society in a healthy way. And don't forget that Yang may not have supported single payer healthcare, but he did support a form of universal healthcare. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, th- I think I agree with you that, that you said that you could compromise with us on healthcare. I just don't understand why no like other people can't. <laughs> I think other, I think I think it comes down to some of the some of some of these people are so downtrodden and have lost so much faith in the system that to even entertain the idea of other people getting ahead of them, even if it means that they themselves get raised to a higher level, is too much for them to bear. It's become all about you know vengeance and emotional getting back at you and it really and that sort of thing and it really is the fiscally best thing to do like if you want to be an entrepreneur if you want to start a business healthcare is one of the most expensive things to do i mean so many companies are subcontracting work out because they don't want to pay for benefits for other people and that 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 is a like like the level of service you get from a company the personability you would have from a small business like they just can't afford to literally pay people's health insurance so they contract out to Joe down the road who's not even certified certified licensed anything like that and it's just bad for everybody yeah i'll, I'll answer your question why won't more people do it it's because they're they're ideologues who refuse to compromise that's why mm-hmm. right i mean if ideologically you're committed to the idea that the free market is always a better way to do it then you're just going to say that, right? But it's that, what I tell those people is, look, man, whatever our dream, our ideal might be, that's not going to happen. It's it's the same. I use the same argument for UBI. Do you really think at this point they're going to completely get rid of the social safety net? They're going to get rid of social security. They're going to get rid of Medicare. No, that's not going to happen. They're not going to get rid of those things. So what we can do is we can say, like, it's too popular. Even most Republican voters like these things. We have to work with what we've got. So let's reform it for the better. Let's reform it in a way that respects individual liberty more, right? We already have universal health care if you're over 65, right? So like mm-hmm. Yang's argument makes a lot of sense from a conservative perspective. He's saying like, well, you know, importantly, um, it's not necessary to tax the middle class into extinction in order to fund it. That's important because mm. that would be counterproductive. Mm. You know, there are concerns that people have, reasonable concerns, like if you get your health insurance through your employer um, and or you're an, uh, you know, a, a, a retired person living on a limited retirement, right, and you already get Medicare, um, taxing that retirement at a higher level or taxing that working class person who already has health insurance higher and not giving them anything they don't already have, that person comes out worse off, Right. What I like about Yang is he threads the needle on these issues. If you read his policies, they're so detailed. He thinks about all that stuff and he accounts for it and the policies are better for it. So yeah, no, I, I think that people, ideologues need to stop holding out for a utopian vision that's never going to happen on both sides and start compromising with the other side because you cannot get anything done in real life otherwise. I mean, unless you overthrow the government in a violent revolution and then I guess King Donald can do whatever he wants. <laughs> Look right. out! Look out for the reinstallment in August. Apparently, right. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I really I mean, appreciated I mean, this, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. On. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we appreciate it too. This has been a really good conversation. I was actually, I don't want to say worried, but I was like, man, I really hope that this is productive. This <laughs> <laughs> is probably one of the most productive conversations we've had so far. I yeah, think. just period. Period. One hundred percent. Yeah. Anything else you want to add, Blake? No, uh, it's been really great to meet meet you, Rio. I'm gonna have to check out some more of your content. I think you're super reasonable, really smart, awesome, awesome. Thanks. Well, thank you so much. Bye.
Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Together, through these conversations, we are all working to ensure that the Humanity First movement keeps moving forward. If you haven't yet, please visit our website at movingforwardpod.com, where you can support our Patreon. We will use those funds to advertise, to grow our audience so more people hear these important conversations. Thank you very much.